0: We're going to look at a topic today about being a witness, being a witness. Now, this for me is a little bit different than what I normally do uh, for Sunday school or for Wednesday night. Those of you that have heard me teach before know that I really like instructional teaching. That's predominantly what I like to do, and I mean, I think I've done that forever And so the last couple weeks in our class, we have went and I've tried to do something that had a little bit more application to it. And so that's what this is going to be a little bit this morning. So hopefully you'll be able to get something from it as we look about this. So as we think about being called to be a witness, we first have to go back to Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And then for about 40 days, he met with his disciples many, many, many times, um, about what was going to happen and about their roles in the future, um, and gave them this instruction before he ascended back up to heaven. It says in Acts 1-3, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. I like that, by the way, infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining unto the kingdom of God. And so in this next passage, we're going to see that Jesus described these individuals these disciples by a name uh, that was really going to change the way they lived their life and it says and he said unto them thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem and ye are witnesses of These things. Notice that word witness. Witnesses. Acts 1 8, again right at the ascension of Christ, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. And so the definition, those of us that have grown up in church have probably heard this before, I'm sure, but the definition of a of a witness, first of all, in the Greek, by the way, martus is the word, which we get the word martyr for. We're going to look at a young man, Stephen, here for the remainder of the passage and look at him as a witness, and we're going to say, yes, assuredly, he was a martyr and was a witness. Now, in the Bible, those two terms are used often interchangeably. So you'll come, sometimes you'll see the word witness, sometimes you'll see the word martyr, um, sometimes you'll even see the word record. So that kind of gives an idea about what this word witness means and about what Jesus was describing to his followers at this time about what he expected of them and what they were going to do in the near future. And so the definition of a witness, um, from even from dictionary.com, it says a person who sees an event, usually a crime or an accident is what they said. Um, the, other, the second definition is evidence or proof, that a witness is evidence or uh, proof. And so this describes the way that believers should be witnesses. Um, we've all can attest to the effect, to the fact um, that Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, was buried, was risen again for our sins. Now we didn't visibly see that like these folks did. Remember, Jesus was talking to people who actually saw it. Now we are secondhand. However, however, remember that other definition says evidence or proof. You and I this morning as believers, we are witnesses and are true witnesses because we are evidence or proof that Jesus really lived. He really died a sacrificial death, and he really lives to make intercession for believers because he has saved us, and he has radically changed our lives. I mean, think about what you used to be and think about who you are now. I mean, that's a testimony. I mean, this is Christmas time, right? Many of you have probably spent some time with family recently or maybe will be, um, you know, over till New Year's and so on and get around family. And I guarantee you, when you go back to see your family, they remember the way you used to be. And by the way, they probably keep pretty good record of it, too. (laughs) But as Christians, our family members, friends and people... I mean, they should know that there is a drastic difference between we, who we used to be and who we are now. I know that that's true in my life. I know that's true with the friends that I used to hang around. I knew that's true with the classmates I used to have in school. And so uh, we are evidence or proof. We've been saved in our lives. bear evidence that we actually have a relationship with Christ. And so today as we look... At the life of Stephen, we're going to look at three um, three things of Stephen's witness and uh, events surrounding this this circumstance in Acts chapter six, in Acts chapter seven, and we're going to be able to learn a few things about witnessing. Well, the character of Stephen, first of all, that's addressed here in Acts chapter six, verse number eight. It says that he was full of faith, full of faith, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, leading up to this passage in the first part of the book of Acts, we have the apostles who they had become so busy caring for other people that they were neglecting, caring for the widows, that they had neglected um, studying the scriptures and praying and seeking God um, to be able to feed the flock of God. And so they elected um, deacons. And so Stephen happened to be one of them, and one of the qualifications that they had to be uh, full of faith, filled with the Spirit. And Stephen was one of these people. So that story from there kind of rolls on, and we um, see Stephen here that he was full of faith. And so our witness must have a foundation of Christ like character if we're going to be effective. And so there are specific traits that we see here that Stephen possessed that it's essential for us if we are going to be an effective witness and be the witness that God has called us to be. These things ought to be resembled in our life if we're going to have. The effect that we should. He was full of faith. Do you have faith? What I mean by faith is I don't just mean do you have faith that Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Do you have faith that you're going to see Jesus face to face one day? I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about do you have faith as a witness? That's a totally different question. I can't say 100% all the time that I have faith as as a witness. I'm being transparent with you. I think if we all think about that, we all don't have faith as a witness. And so people who lack faith in witnessing, they conclude many times that God cannot use them to be a witness. Or that's just for Those other Christians, that's just for the preacher. That's just for the Sunday school teachers and the bus people. That's for them. God could never really use me to do it. Or they say, well, I believe God could could use me to do it, but I don't think people are going to listen and nothing's really going to happen because of it. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. Without faith it's impossible to please him. Have faith that God can use you. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, uh, the chapter there is referred to as the Hall of Faith, and we can go through and look at, I mean, I think it's roughly 17 names or so of individuals throughout the Bible that had faith, and had faith in all different areas and different circumstances. And so it is essential that if we're really going to change the world, if our witness is really going to matter, we're going to have to have faith that God can use us, and also that people are going to hear. I still have faith um, that what you said, the fields are white unto harvest. I know here in America, maybe the, thing, the, the days are maybe getting darker, maybe people are becoming uh, not as receptive, but I know that there's still people out there who need to be saved. I mean, bus folks, there's people out there, who's, kids out there, who still need to be saved, who still need to be picked up on the church bus. I mean, let's have some faith that there are people out there who still need the Lord and that are going to respond. I believe it. But regardless, even if that doesn't happen, and if people don't get saved, I'm still having faith in what Jesus told us to do about being a witness. We're going to see here in Stephen's case right here, those of you that know the story know that the crowd didn't really respond too well to Stephen's witness. But regardless, he was full of faith about what God had called him to do. And so um, let's, let's go on for time's sake. He was also, he was full of power, that same verse there. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did wonders and miracles among the people. And so at this time, God had given these individuals um, some special gifts and different things, healing people, uh, speaking in tongues, and many of those things. Uh, it was a jump start. You said, why, why did they all have those sign gifts back then? Well, it was a way that God used them and used those gifts to jump start Christianity in the world. I mean, you're talking about this message had to be taken from Jerusalem to every part of the world. We get over, I believe it's Acts uh, chapter 17, and we see that they turned the world upside down for Christ. Well, God gave them special enabling uh, to be able to do that. So Stephen here in this instance caught the attention of people because he was had a lot of faith. They could see it on him. He had power because he was speaking of God, and he had performed these miracles and wonders, which was getting people's attention. So a debate here was heating up, and these Jews that Stephen was speaking to, they did not want to believe Uh, that Jesus was the Messiah. They did not want to accept the fact that they had killed God in the flesh. And so it was getting very hot, very heated here. And so Stephen here, he was full of power. He definitely combined what he knew of the Old Testament because we're going to see here in the next couple verses about how he gives um, instance after instance throughout Israel's history um, to actually cause conviction to these Jews. And so he used what he knew of the Bible and combined that with his faith in God and allowed God to use him. And we see that, I mean, he really, we're going to see how he ended up convicting them in a moment of their sin. And so um, in this instance, he became unstoppable. He became unstoppable. They were not able um, to resist the wisdom that he spoke of. It says here, he had irresistible wisdom, Acts 6.10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Um, He became unstoppable. I honestly believe that Christians who know the Bible, and I'm not talking about know the Bible perfectly. um, I don't have, I mean, even half the answers to every question that someone could possibly pose about the Bible. Um, you know, I think people can study the Bible their entire life and you're not going to grasp it. You're not going to, um, attain it. When I was in, um, when I was in high school, I had a basketball coach and, you know, high school kids, we know everything. And this, uh, basketball coach, you know, after we were trying to act like we knew how to play basketball. He brings us over, and he grabs a basketball, and he takes a Sharpie marker. And those of you that are familiar with basketballs know that they have about a billion little dimples all over them. And he takes a Sharpie marker, and he puts a dot on one of those little dimples. And he said, you see that little black dot there? He said, that's how much you know about basketball. (laughs) He said, you see all these other dimples? That's how much I know about basketball. We got the point. The whole team, we got the point. That's how I feel about the Bible sometimes. Those of us that, you know, if you're a humble person, you're going to feel the same way. But I truly believe that a Christian who knows the word of God and relies on the power of the Holy Spirit to work through them, I believe 100% that they are unstoppable. That nobody is going to out-argue them. That nobody is going to outreason them. They are literally unstoppable. And we see this with Stephen. They were not able to resist the wisdom. There's some belief that Stephen maybe had grown up grew, uh, grew up around here and maybe learned the scriptures. But again, what, what Stephen knew about the Old Testament before his conversion and then after his conversion, those things combined together made him unstoppable. And I believe that any Christian who has the Word of God. There is nobody that can outreason a Christian. Because again, we have the truth, we have the answer. And when Christ gets applied to what we know about the world and the scripture, everything makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And so there was irresistible wisdom um, that was here. But also he had an ear, ir- there was an irresistible spirit. And when they and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Now, this word "spirit" is often used in Scripture, not only not not just talking about the Holy Spirit, um, but also to describe attitudes, dispositions. Um, we see that in the life of Joseph, how he was his there was an excellent spirit that was in him. His attitude was something exceptional. Also, in the life of Daniel, we see that, that God gave him favor, but he also had an excellent spirit as well to where Daniel was promoted up to the high ranks. And so, uh, Stephen, again, here, and even though he was facing and about to face some accusations to the crowd, this was a hostile environment that he was in, he still had an excellent temperament, an an excellent attitude in this circumstance um, even though these people were hostile to him, Stephen had no ill intent besides seeing that these people knew Christ. How easy is it for Christians to get upset and get in the flesh when we're witnessing? I've been on quite a few door to doors I mean I've been guilty of it before where uh you know you start getting in an argument with somebody and soon enough your flesh comes and takes over and I do not have an irresistible spirit. You know, hey, I know the word of God and I'm just going to whack you with it. That can happen from time to time. But somebody who's going to be an effective witness is going to be full of faith, full of power, is going to have an irresistible wisdom, reasoning in the scripture, and also their attitude is going to be exceptional. And so I think the more that Stephen argued with these people, the more angry they got because they couldn't get under Stephen's skin. Let's see what else happened here. We see the response here, the contradiction of the crowd. It says in Acts 6, 11 through 13, and they, um, and they suburned men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And as this was the case with many other instances with Christian witnesses in the Bible, the same here is true with Stephen. He faced false accusations. Um, We see that, um, I mean, with Jezebel, to Naboth in the Bible, the chief priests and scribes to Jesus, also Paul, Acts 24, 13, um, false accusations. Uh, What was interesting about this is they were hypocrites, this group of uh, religious individuals, um, because they were condemning Stephen for something that wasn't true, but yet they were breaking Exodus 20, verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness. How often do I see people who try to reason with me against the Bible or maybe they are of of a a different Christian group um, which doesn't believe the gospel the way the Bible teaches it. And they try to reason with it and contradict themselves time over time over time. They're falsely accusing this person. I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused, but it is not fun at all. By the way, if you're getting falsely accused about things, you're probably doing something right. I mean, look throughout the scripture about everybody who was falsely accused. I mean, think about David and all he endured, running for his life for years, his son turning the kingdom upside down on him. My goodness. False accusations is what he faced here. Um, we, We see, interesting enough, that right after that, this whole accusation thing happened, uh, verse 15 says that his face was, looked like it had been an angel. And so that must have been some per, something supernatural there. Um, but how are you able to respond to accusations? Is that how you respond to false accusations? Not necessarily me all the time. That's how I would like to respond to them. Well, let's look at the content of his message here. He reviewed their history, talked about the faith of Abraham and that Abraham followed God without a temple. Um, The trials of Joseph and just how Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. Wasn't Jesus betrayed by the people who were supposed to be his own family? He mentions the bondage in Egypt and that the people rebelled against Moses and his deliverance. Wanted to elect a new leader and turn back and go back to Egypt. Um, Just like Jesus was rejected. He talks about the disobedience of the Jews, and then the purpose of the tabernacle and the temple, and that our, our relationship with with God is not bound to a building or a temple or a tabernacle. And so, this totally contradicted everything that they thought and they believed. Um, and we're going to see he ex- exposes their hypocrisy here. Acts seven fifty one. He says. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed them before the coming of the just one, of whom you have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispositions of angels and have not kept it. He literally tells them, you guys are the most privileged people on the face of the planet, You know the truth, or the truth is in front of you more than anybody else, but yet you've missed it, and you have rejected it. And with very strong words, he addresses their hypocrisy. Now, again, we know his disposition, and we know his attitude. It's one of love, and it's one of compassion, but yet he does not let them slide on their sin. That's something that Christians, the new Christians today, I may even say this, the millennial Christians, especially today, they just want to not say anything bad. It would be nice if we never had to say anything bad. It would be nice if I never had to tell anybody, hey, that's wrong, that's wicked, God's not pleased. I would love not to be able to do that. But the problem is, if we really love people, we're going to tell them the truth. Stephen, even though in the face of these individuals who were who hated him, he still had a love and compassion and did not shy away from the truth. And as you know, it cost him um, everything. This Christmas, by the way, and in the holiday season here, you know, there's probably going to be some conversations that we have with family members that aren't going to be fun, because sometimes we know them certain family members they say things that just don't line up with the way it really is and. You know, we got to stand up for what's right and what's true. Well, the conviction of their hearts, they were convicted. Acts seven fifty-four. and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were not too happy. Um, there cannot be, we must tell the truth because there cannot be conversion without conviction. But, that all, but what also, the thing we also have to remember is just because there is conviction, doesn't necessarily there's going to be conversion. Think about King Agrippa. He said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So they were convicted, but they didn't change their mind. Well, the climax of the meeting here in our last point, the Savior's presence. Wow. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I bet that was encouraging to him. In the midst of this big mob, he looked up into heaven, being the only one I think that could see Jesus there, but knowing that Jesus was there with him. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So as we go out and we are witnesses, you can be assured that Jesus is there with you. Being a witness sometimes can be very lonely. But verses like these encourage me that though the whole world is against me, that Christ is with me. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Jesus knew what he was going through and was not going to um, forget what Stephen was enduring. The scoffers, they stoned him. It was a terrible way to die. They take rocks and they just throw, throw them on you until you're, you're dead. Terrible. Saul, by the way, was there. Verse says that, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul. Little did Stephen know at that moment, but a seed was being planted in the life of Saul. Sometimes we can go away thinking, hey, this did no good whatsoever. But look how God used Saul in the future. And no doubt Stephen was part of that. Stephen suffered, of course. Of course he did. But it was worth it. What a privilege it was for him to be able to suffer the way he did for the Lord. He kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, said, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I love that statement the most out of the entire passage. He cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin upon their charge. How many times do I witness and people just totally reject it? And verses like these pop up in my mind. Lord, lay it not to their charge. Be merciful to them. I think about Jesus on the cross. We was talking to Pastor Bill about this uh, a few weeks ago. Jesus, I mean, as they are crucifying, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when we go and we present the gospel to them and we get maybe the door slammed in our face, we get some mean, rude, snide, snide remark. Literally, we should go away saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're rejecting. But little did Stephen know that this instance here was going to spark, literally, a revival in Jerusalem and all over the world because one person was willing to be a witness. I'll leave you with one verse. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. We are called to be a witness. Will you answer it? I hope you will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a few moments to look into your word. Uh, Thank you for Christmas as we celebrate your birth um, and we look back at how you had the whole thing orchestrated from the foundation of the world, that you were going to come and save your people from their sins. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.